You're listening to Dirty Feet, a podcast from No More Radio. Vous écoutez le podcast Dirty Feet sur les ondes de No More Radio. Hosted by, animé par, Alison Burns, J.D. Papillon, et Stéphanie Moret-Robert. Stay tuned. We're going to move you. The summer of 2015 marks the 25th anniversary of the St. Ambroise Montreal Fringe Festival. Uh, the fringe is a, a concept that uh, that means that there's no curation in a lot of the programming. The artists are chosen by lottery or first come, first serve. Uh, and this is in accordance with the CAF, the Canadian Association of Fringe Festivals, uh, their whole uh, guidelines. So uh, there's a bunch of fringe festivals across Canada, which, uh, as we did last year, we're going to be bringing you coverage of over the summer. Um And there's some in the States as well. And of course, in Europe, in Edinburgh was the, the very first place to ever have a fringe festival. And then uh, over on the side of the pond, it was uh, Edmonton that, that picked it up. And from there, a lot of different ones came up. And uh, of course, uh, the Montreal one came up 25 years ago. So today we're going to be talking uh, just exactly about that, about the non-curation, about the, the fact that Participating in a fringe festival gets rid of the middleman. You go straight from artist to the public. And uh, we're, of course, talking about it in the context of, of dance and, and in a broader context as well. More and more dance artists have been participating in the fringe over the years. This year, there are seven dance shows in the festival. And of course, a lot of the multidisciplinary works uh, also include dance as well. So we're sitting here with Amy Blackmore, who's the executive and artistic director of the festival. Hi, Amy. How's it going? Uh, great. Thanks for being here. <laughs> We're also joined by Jeff Agambar, who is the general manager of Mainline Theatre and the Montreal Fringe. Hello, hello. So, uh, I went a little bit over the, the history of the festival already. I'm wondering if, uh, if there's points that you'd like to add, um, maybe in particular to, to this concept of non-curation and, and where that seed came from, where the need for the Fringe came from, and how it has become such an important part of the uh, artistic community. I think the the interesting part of the story is that the Fringe is really a festival for artists, organized by artists, and it was really it was rooted in that when it was founded. You know, like you said, the Fringe started in Edinburgh, and it's I, I love telling the story. And when I tell someone the story, they're always like, "I had no idea." It's like I think the Fringe's best kept secret, but it was founded in Edinburgh. You know, after World War II, the city of Edinburgh decided to organize a, a festival uh, to sort of boost morale after the war, help people feel a little better about their lives um, and uh, instead of inviting local artists to present work at this local festival uh, they invited a bunch of out-of-towners uh, which really uh, didn't that didn't go very well in the community and and there was a group of about eight um, eight artists and companies uh, from Edinburgh that decided you know what we're going to do our own thing if you don't want us to be a part of your fun little festival we'll do our own and so for a couple of years uh, annually these group of artists would just present their work regardless kind of you know on the fringe of the Edinburgh festival and that's what the journalists started to call it the fringe of the Edinburgh festival now Edinburgh uh, festival fringe which you know as you said has become this you know international movement uh, that is now in Canada I think again the interesting thing is that it is always about the artists the artists first first and foremost you know in Montreal Most of our staff are artists and have our own artistic practice. And I think that's something that's really special about what we do. 
A note there, uh, I actually am on staff at the Fringe this year, so <laughs> just for the record. Full disclosure. Yeah, full disclosure. And it is true that, that also uh, there tend to be a lot of dance people on staff these days, which is quite interesting. And, and you have presented shows at the Fringe in past years as well, haven't you? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, so let's talk about that, what the opportunity is for, for dance artists in the city, um, because it is a different opportunity than, than say, than say, Vus de la Relève or um, uh, Danse Boussonnier or something like that, where it is a very dance specific. Uh, Quartier Danse. Also Quartier is Danse. A good yeah, dance specific that, where festivals. It's extremely curated. Mm -hmm. I just want to say that I'm frustrated that uh, the, the downside of not curating a festival of it being programmed by lottery is that you don't know what you're going to get, which is also the upside. But in terms of this year's dance program, I mean, it means only seven dance shows. <laughs> I'm like kind of sad about that. Cause I mean, I think two years ago, the way it worked out lottery wise was we had 15. <laughs> so to go from 15 to seven, I don't know. I thought that was kind of funny. Well, it, I mean, I think compared to other fringes, I mean, this was a question at last year's press conference, actually, I remember taking, where somebody was like, why is it that there is so much dance at the Montreal Fringe, but not, say, in Toronto or, or other fringes? It was, it, was, it was a question posed by a, uh, someone who does a, a dance blog, a, a dance site, and, uh, and they are also a touring artist. And they were like, I've, I've been to the other fringes. I noticed that this is unique, that there's more here than elsewhere, and, uh, which allowed us to underline the fact that, uh, I mean, because, the, it, because, the, each, it, because it's a model that's used in each city, uh, it, it ends up in each city uh, resembling its city and i think in montreal one thing that is typical to montreal but not elsewhere is that there is a very uh cross-disciplinary and experimental uh a, a dance community that's interested in self-producing anyway outside of the fringe context and so what ends up happening in every city is the local artists and visiting artists that present as well but the artists that participate end up using that festival in the way that that city already behaves and so in montreal we we do see a lot of uh dance companies that want to use this model to experiment and and, and play and test ideas uh i think that is kind of unique and, and and strong in montreal but it is true as amy points out that that does mean that there's no steady like you can't set up a dance wing and and make your volet i mean and uh and 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 sort of target a certain number of companies every year it depends on who's in the hat and who comes out of the hat yeah no it's funny i mean i, I I I like to think that the the programming that we see at the festival is a reflection of, of what's going on in the community and 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 of of what's out there and, and that that is why you see so many different disciplines and also languages, um, you know, and sort of cross pollination of culture that is Montreal at the same time. But yeah, that is something that the Toronto Fringe does, Jeff. That you were describing that they do have a specific lottery category for the dance companies. Oh, they do now. Yeah, they have had for for maybe five years or so. Oh yeah. So, um, you know, the, the benefit there is that is that if you're a dance company applying to the Toronto Fringe Festival, you're far more likely to get in than if you're applying in the theater category. Huh. Yeah, because theater category in Toronto is like 600 applications or something like that, <laughs> right? Yeah. I wonder. Do you do we know how many apply to the dance? I'd be very curious to know. I yeah, I don't know off the top of my head, but I do know that it's a. All right, tip guys. to get into. Tip to all the theater artists: make dance shows, bring them to the Toronto Fringe, you'll <laughs> yeah. get in. It's so easy to call theater just dance now. Yeah, totally. It's basically, oh no, it's it's a movement piece. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. 
But then, then we get into the, the categorization of things too, right? Because every year when we're looking at the Fringe program and what to cover for Dirty Feet, we look at the dance shows and that's an easy pick. And then there's all this other stuff, the physical theater, the circus, the the multidisciplinary stuff that that is really borderline and, and that has a lot of movement information in it and movement uh, performance. And we do tend to include those as well. So perhaps... You know, again, given the climate of the Montreal cultural scene, that it is important to keep the the category nice and wide as just English performance art. Oh, I mean, I would love to see, you know, programming that wasn't labeled by anything. I mean, it kind of kills me that we even use language labels at the fringe. Uh, I think it's important that we do that uh, to make sure that everyone has a fair chance. But it would be great to just have none. Just be like, everybody all together. I mean, you know, the thing about non-curating is, is really just about um, setting up the circumstances and the environment for um, that sort of creates success for artists. Uh, you know, at the Fringe, what we do is we supply an infrastructure and a sort of support system for artists' work. And then the idea is that they come in and do sort of whatever they want with it, you know, uh, especially the part when it comes to, you know, no artistic direction, there's no censorship. They can come in and read a phone book on stage for an hour, um, which has happened at the Montreal Fringe. I can't remember what year, but it did. There was, there is a, a legend of a story where somebody sat in a, in a rotating desk chair and over the course of an hour did a single 360-degree rotation. <laughs> and so you would sit and you never saw them move once, but it, you know, 15 minutes in, they were a quarter of the turn, they had moved. Anyway. So that's that's probably even worse than listening to someone listen to read a phone book. (laughs) But then, you know, those are are rare. (laughs) But then it sort of, you know, also creates the environment for artists like uh, Delphine from the company Tsuke Capuche. She has a show this year and, you know, uh, her sort of history of presentation is sort of straight up contemporary dance with uh, soundtrack. And at the fringe this year, you know, she's kind of experimenting with working with musicians you know, which uh, for her is new. And uh, she's sort of really excited about that. And I like the idea of being uh, sort of one of the first points um, on a path, on a journey that will hopefully go really far. It takes away a lot of the pressure when you present within a specific scene. Like I know that in dance, uh, a lot of people are afraid that one misstep is going to be... Uh, is going to categorize their whole artistic parkour, and that you know if if they they do that one misstep afterwards, that's it. Doors are closing for them. Whereas with the fringe, because it's not as much of a specific audience, and there are a few presenters that show up, but it's it's still limited. Like there's Dina Devita that shows up to every fringe dance show, but you know there's not as much of a, um, a spotlight from the dance community. So because of that, it lets people explore a lot more. It, it opens up without that fear of judgment that is going to be apparent if they're presenting within a dance community content. I was going to say, I think it's also understood that this is a place to to uh, perhaps bring something that is quite developed and, 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 and it's very clear that this is, this, is a, this is a thing that's going to carry on and have a life outside of the fringe as is or added to. It's very, quite, it's very clear what the path out of this show is. But it's also understood that this is a place to, to attempt something, uh, to try something out. Uh, one, of the, one of the points I always make is that, you know, as, a, say, a visual artist, if you're sitting in your studio working all day and then you, you, you put down the brushes and step back, you can look 
look at your painting through the same window that your eventual audience will see it through, right? So you can experience your art uh, in, 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 in a way that is, it, the, the, it already uh, there's there's a place to pl- to 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 explore and 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 observe. There's a whole process for that that doesn't have to involve the public, the audi- the eventual audience yet, right? Same thing for writing. You can write in your in your in your in your journal alone in a room. You can do that for years and then appear on the work to the world with a finished work that you've been able to experience and 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 observe and, and sort of see its eventual manifestation. In the performing arts, I think uh, that the art really only exists while the audience and artists are together uh, making it in the room, right? And so I think in some ways also Fringe is a model where uh, we, 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 we take a lot, away a lot of the boundaries and that are, are baked into the fact that as a performing artist, there's a whole process that goes into it. But while you're rehearsing, while you're creating, uh, even if you have a director or a choreographer in the room, it, it still doesn't quite exist until that moment where it's happening with the audience and then it's gone again. You know, if you film it and look at it afterwards, that's still a translation. It's not quite as direct a link as, as in, as in, as in the non-performative realms. So I think uh, on some level fringe exists to create a space like the journal, like the studio, like that stepping back where, uh, the, the art can happen, but it, it doesn't have to be considered. This is a finished thing. This is a by professional work. Like the, the same points that you were, you were, you were making just earlier. Anyway, that's a reflection I always like to bring to the conversation of why Fringe is the way it is and why it has a place in the whole ecosystem of performing arts. I think that, you know, I think that the idea of, of Fringe sort of being a bit of that safe ground where, where you can experiment, do something a little different and not worry about, you know, being shut out of the community for something or having doors closed. I think a lot of that also just comes from the fact that the a lot of the audience at the fringe is a little more mainstream, mm. um, which is something that I think we realize more and more as, as we get older as a festival. It tends to be a place where people uh, contact art. You know, for a lot of people who come to the fringe, the fringe is that one time a year they go out and see theater and dance. Um, and the interesting thing about it is that if there's something interesting in your work, it will get noticed. You don't have to have the best show, although that does help. <laughs> um, but if there's a potential or like, a, you know, like those shows that are like an almost show, um, like a feel good show or they were so close show or wow, that show was amazing or I love that concept. Oh, I wish I want them to dig deeper. The Fringe is a kind of place where you can see that kind of work, fall in love with it because you're only paying like $10 or less to go to it. So it's super cheap. Uh, it's super easy because it's most dance shows are like 45 minutes an hour tops but you also as an audience get to talk about it and you get to communicate with the artist about it and give them your feedback through you know writing a review on the fringe buzz or um tweeting hashtag fringe buzz you know we really encourage the audience and the artist to sort of meet in that kind of way and i and i, and I think that yeah that's why like a lot of that I don't want to say safe because maybe safe isn't the right word, but just sort of that open environment of, you know, we can sort of take these risks here because it's it's, it's welcome and encouraged and uh, there, a bad review isn't going to get us down yeah. kind of thing. And I think there are fewer um, defining boundaries on what counts as best at the fringe as well. Mm-hmm. There are many different types of best at the fringe. It can yeah. be just something that's based on on charisma. 
It can be something that's based on uh, on the theater side. Anyway, people talk about the theatricality uh, often of shows where because you're trying to keep uh, you're just really focusing on the the experience you're creating in the room. Maybe it's not based on costumes. It's not it's based on on the set. It's not based on on pyrotechnics. Right. Uh, Definitely no pyrotechnics at the fringe, please. Which I'm still hoping to see. Amy's heart palpitation. Oh, man. It's like my worst nightmare. Pyrotechnics. No, don't sneak that shit in. Walking into a tech rehearsal where someone's like, I brought my personal pyrotechnics. (laughs) Fog machines uh, are okay? Pardon me? Fog machines are okay? No. No, no. You know, it's... it's, they wouldn't be so bad, but be, at the fringe, you know, there's like sometimes ten shows in the same venue in mm. a day. You can't have like smoke lingering from the previous show. Yeah, but the, the point being that there are, there are many different types of best. There are many audiences within the fringe audience, and that they and uh, and different, uh, very very disparate things can find uh, large uh, can find support at the fringe, and then carry that audience forward. That's um, that actually opens up a question for me because. One of the things, one of the elements that is very important about this concept of non-curatorial uh, festival uh, and, and just the way that the fringes run, I, I've mostly seen the one in Montreal, so I cannot speak for the other ones, but there's this very communal-based uh, aspect to the fringe uh, with the fringe park, with the, the, the beer tent and everything, of people gathering together, people talking together, exchanging about their shows Um there's a, a lack of hierarchy in some ways that seems very fundamental to the fringe, I find. But then uh, there's the uh, the Frankies, uh, with which are basically awards, and there's you know there's other aspects of it which which feel a bit different from the the, the main spirit of the fringe. But I know that during the evening of the Frankies, it's very much a continuation of that celebrative aspect of it. But do you feel sometimes that maybe an aspect such as awards and nominations and all of that take a bit away from that, uh, the non-judgmental aspect of the fringe? I think that um, I think that as organizers, we set up a non-judgmental platform, and I think that once the festival starts, all judgments are welcome, mm. all opinions are welcome, and and it, it's okay to say a show isn't good. Or to say that it's a hit. And I find that, you know, as you mentioned earlier, you know, it's not a festival where, you know, presenters from all over the world come to. But it is a festival where the local uh, theater and dance artistic directors do come to in uh, in. In quite big numbers, like people from uh, Complètement Cirque are coming this year, or um, I was talking to the artistic director of L'Espace Libre. He's really excited to come to see what's going on. And the Frankie Awards and the nominations of for the awards are, are, are a way to sort of, as the artists leave the festival, sort of prop them up and then push them mm-hmm. forward and kind mm-hmm. of up that little hill. They, so that's, that's why they were created. They were created to... Uh, to uh, for a couple of reasons, one was to try and create uh, to bake in some uh, some future opportunities for the for shows that that uh, that uh, rose above uh, for being what one group uh, that has come has decided is the best choreography, for example. But we also have uh, awards that are awarded for the thing that they, they that such and such a group thought was the the most 
had the best potential and we'd like to work with them to to mold that into something that has uh, has has a has a stronger foundation you know uh, there 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 are many different motivations for the different prizes so there was that kind of trying to create windows uh, post fringe uh, for uh, within the year out following immediately that we always tried to product, uh, to link them to some kind of production opportunity outside of the fringe if possible yeah the best is when an artist gets to present again yeah and uh, uh, but then also to create a context for these different presenting groups uh, around town to be involved and see a very high percentage of this year's shows. So there's there's also that aspect. The whole jury process is part of uh, baking in a process where a lot of the shows are being seen by the people that in the community. Baking in. Yeah. I like that. Are we yeah. going to have lots of cake this year for 25 <laughs> maybe, years? Maybe. Okay, it should be. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, so, so, the, the, so the, the Frankies were uh, are, are, are about addressing some of the things that we wanted to to create and ba- and add on to what was already already uh, strong in the festival that you you talk about the community aspect the sharing the discussion uh, the interaction the direct contact between artists and audiences without somebody having pre filtered what gets that opportunity or not uh, and Frankie's was a way of extending that uh, and and like Amy says I think it's not meant to be about deciding what the the hits of this year are the audience has already done that by the time we tell people what uh, this year's Frankies are. Yeah, by there's, doing all their reviews yeah. and yeah, and there's there's ones for example just having just for laughs involved, um, and and releasing a large short list means that there's ten or twelve companies in a given year that can then go across the the other nine or ten festivals that are coming up uh, on the fringe circuit and every nominated single, for a just for laughs award. And every single one of them can put that little laureate uh, symbol with a just for laughs award nominee, mm-hmm. and that can sell tickets in other towns. So um, there are, there are concrete benefits that we're trying to give to not just the winner but uh but the nominees and the people that were seen by people that might have missed their show otherwise because of the jury process i'm under the impression that our awards program i mean ours is called the frankie awards but mm-hmm. you know other festivals have their own names for their mm-hmm. awards but i'm under the impression that ours is really what the other fringes in canada are modeling theirs after mm-hmm. um which is kind of fun yeah yeah i like that we're yeah. the cool fringe guys but it copies <laughs> us Alongside that, there's also coverage as well, because producing your work independently, it's very hard to get media attention. And yeah. in the context of the festival, regardless of the fact that it's that it's not curated, you're going to get more attention as an artist. Mm-hmm. And then again, you can use it the same way you're using yeah. this nomination, go across to other fringe festivals or other mm-hmm. contexts in general, apply for grants, so, you know, mm-hmm. sell your work to to a presenter with with these, you know, media plugs tagged yeah. onto it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's there's obviously the challenge of trying to get in contact with presenters and producers. But uh, in the media environment, as fractured as it is, that can uh, having that little nominee tag or, or whatever can help to to, to create some media coverage, which is so hard to uh, to to find and 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 stick together into something that is a good foundation for a lot of buzz in a mainstream audience outside of outside of this kind of context. I'll never forget traveling to the Buxton Fringe in 2006. Buxton is this little town like 45 minutes south of Manchester, uh, and I brought my show. I love New York, and I was you know. Uh, I, it was before dance school. I was a young and impressionable little artist, but uh, I went across the ocean to go there. And uh, I mean, I had like seven people in every show. It was kind of turning into a bit of a disaster. And then um, somebody came to my show and her in her review, it said, deserve to play to packed houses. So we printed 
that out in big letters and put it on all of our posters and we had great attendance for the rest of the run. So it's like those like little little pull quotes mm-hmm. from journalists that just happen to come to your show because they're at the fringe, not because mm-hmm. they're there for your show. Oh, those are nice moments. Totally. Yeah. So there's something unique about the Montreal Fringe Festival in in the the language situation here. Mm-hmm. When you when you pull um from the local categories, you pull equal amounts of, of English and French companies. Um, and then when we're talking about dance, sometimes it's the company is rooted in one language or another, and then they create a bilingual show or a, or a non-lingual show. Um, and that creates a, a slightly different atmosphere than in, than in other cities where it's kind of understood that, well, I mean, across Canada, it's English. English is the primary language for, for these, these productions. Yeah, no, totally. And it's, oh, I think about it all the time. I just, it would be so great to have like a bilingual category or a nonverbal category where, you know, but then it's like, how do you even like pay attention to that and follow that, you know? And I don't know. I mean, we've even debated whether eventually it gets to a point or maybe there's a point in the history, but it wouldn't stay that way necessarily when the locals, the 70% that's split half and half English and French, that maybe there's a, Every year we say, is this a year when we should list the, and just call it 70% local? No, it's not really right. Yeah, uh, it yeah. We still want to make right sure yet. that there, there's, a, there's, a, there's a distribution and, and that you don't end up with a year where it's like, because the, the lottery gods have gone against us, we end up with 90% English or vice versa. You know, that both communities uh, rely on it. So splitting it equally seems the right decision still. But the thing that, that is sort of coming up soon is, or, or at least that we're discussing nationally, as a fringe movement well, what we're discussing is the idea of having sort of like a tour for uh, French companies going across the country that would potentially start in Montreal go to Ottawa and then you know perhaps Toronto I guess depending but you know there's conversations about how there is a a, a francophone arts community in Edmonton in Winnipeg in Fundy not in Fundy that's not a city that's the name of their fringe St. John St. John you know Saskatoon we discovered Saskatoon so Vancouver as well uses the French Center in Vancouver yeah I think it's yeah I think it's coming along I think that that will be a thing it's a conversation that is 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 happening one thing to to go back to that uh, that element of of the divide between French and English um from year to year, from year to year, I find that there's more and more interest and participation from the French community. Now, that might just be me looking at it wishfully from the outside, but I f- is this correct? Like, I feel that the French audience is getting it more and more. They're, they're understanding mm-hmm. more and more what the French is about, what it represents. Uh, all of those ethical aspects of the French also are being embraced more and more. Yeah, I mean, it's. I think that we've definitely seen a lot of growth in the in that area for our festival over recent years. You know, the other day I, w- I actually spoke on a panel at Espace Libre uh, about uh, you know anglophone arts in Quebec, and I was kind of like, well, I kind of represent both, but okay. And uh, it was really interesting to to talk about fringe and to talk about the concept to to some people who'd never heard of it before, but. Uh, I think that what's really attractive is that it is, you know, it, it it's democratic, and and it's you know it's a festival for the people, right? Um, for the artists, but also for the people. And I think there's for a the lot of respect people. in that for the <laughs> artist people. But yeah, 
That makes sense. Yeah. I, I, well, uh, like we were saying, it's it kind of uh, there, there's a structure that kind of tries to keep costs and risks down and and maximize the returns as much as possible. Like what is being generated, the interest that is uh, generated in a given year, that's going to be re- represented directly in how much money is coming back to that artist that year. You know, like we have those kind of things, and those are kind of uh, dry and 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 abstracted a bit. What it means on the ground is that it it can be used the way you want to use it. Some people use it. I've seen artists come through that probably are not meant to have a career, but they always dreamed of it and they're just going to do it. And now they've done it and it didn't go very well, but they feel satisfied that they can put that to bed. And the fringe is there for an artist like that. It also is there for uh, whole communities to use the way they are. And the way the Francophone community has tended to use the fringe more and more uh, and the way the Anglophone community has used the fringe for going back full 25 years. And it's been bilingual since the beginning. But like you say, in the last 10 or 15 years, Francophone artists and, and audiences, I think feel have really started to get it more and more as you were saying and 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 there's a very strong star system star system and and a very deep and broad uh community of performing arts in in quebecois and montreal uh, culture. Uh, and uh, what we see in, in the tendency of the Francophone companies is a lot of them are coming, they're already kind of together, they're coming out of a training program, they're together as a company that may involve 12, 15 people in some cases, and they all have set roles and they have a vision for their next 10 years. They've already incorporated even in a lot of cases, but they're not seeing uh, necessarily an opportunity to to produce or be produced. And what they're using the fringe for is for those first two or three productions where they've got all the chops, they've got a, a clear vision, and they just need a stage to show that. And and th- and that's a very strong tendency in in the francophone Quebec theater companies and, and, and also common to dance companies regardless of language, I think, is that they're already coming kind of with a with a professional practice in mind, but they're at a stage where the opportunities to practice that in front of audience and, and see media and see producers is, uh, are limited. I think there's, an, there's a desire, you know, from that community to use the festival as a laboratoire genre. And, yeah. and, um, and, that, and that's the word that, that, that we hear over and over again sort of from them is we want to come, use it as a laboratoire, see what kind of opportunities can open up for us. And we want to meet other artists. We want to meet English artists. You know, we want to meet artists that are touring. I think that, you know, I mean, the three of us as, as, uh, as, people who went to Concordia and dance, you know, it took, I think, a while for me to meet my, uh, I mean, JD, I met you at Concordia, but my Francophone counterparts from UCAM, it took years before I met them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I think that there's a lot of artists that come to the fringe so they can meet each other, mm-hmm. so they can mingle <laughs> with the other, even though it's the same. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. There's also, I mean, there's the there are companies that come with something that is very much the shape and content and style and type that is sort of ripe to be kind of grabbed by the star system and shot up to the upper levels uh, very quickly uh, and and made kind of a in vedette right now in the next couple of years. There's also uh, companies uh, that we can think that I can think of that from the francophone side since we're talking about that at this moment that have something that they don't think fits the kind of the the models that are being sought in during this sort of three or five year period of trends by the by le star system and they uh, also they they want a place to be seen and practice and do something that isn't aimed at 
being on a main stage in the next three years, but something completely different. I can think of companies like uh, Belzebrut that were focused at being, they called themselves more of a rock band, and they did very well at the fringe and, uh, and, and got seen and, and may not have been produced otherwise, and now they produce their own festivals and stuff. Anyway, very interesting uh, uh, trend on that side as well, where the Stach system is a huge uh, benefit to artists uh, and, and, a great, uh, and a great infrastructure structure that has been built over years and generations, but if you don't fit the tube, uh, what do you do? You know, and the fringe is in place for for companies like that as well. This is relating a lot to a conversation that we had with uh, Sandrine Lafond, uh, who did Little Lady at the at different fringe festivals across Canada. We had her in uh, for episode 120, and she she talked a lot about just this. Uh, she went on to to get. Her, her work produced by producers and, and presenters afterwards, but just that experience of of having you know professional level work and using the Fringe Festival as a platform to mm. to work the show to get some some uh, recognition for it and to to test it, yeah, 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 to, to test it out in front of open audiences, which yeah. is also kind of fun, yeah, and to prove there is an audience. You know, there's, we can't produce that. There's no audience for that. Oh, yes, there is. There's an audience all across Canada for that. Okay, well, we'll produce that now. You know? <clears throat> anyway. One aspect also of, of that non-curatorial um, thing that, that is very much the essence of the French is that also there's no artistic direction. We haven't talked about that so much, but I feel that it's very essential because it allows a much freer uh, artistic approach. But... It can also lead to stuff that could be very outrageous to some people. And I feel that in, in uh, especially with social media and everything, uh, the media has become a lot more, you know, not so much PC, but risk-averting, I would say maybe. Do, do you feel that with the French, this is something that is non-negotiable, that, that no artistic direction, you can do pretty much whatever you want on stage? Or do you feel that this is something that with the way that, that society has been going recently, we could lose a bit of that. Like the, the, there could be a bit more of a reins being imposed on, on artists. I mean, you know, for us, you know, no, no illegal activity is allowed on stage mm. <laughs> and that, uh, I don't see that changing. Um, it's interesting, you know, I almost feel like when the fringe happens, it's almost like the community, including the media, uh, sort of like, like, Oh, yeah, we can't talk about these things. Or, oh, yeah, we can't say fuck on stage. Um, oh, yeah, like, oh, yeah, yeah, I can totally be naked. Um, <laughs> you know, or, or other way more outrageous things than the very, it's kind of funny. Those things sound not outrageous at all to me. But, um, you know, in, in papers, you know, I think people can, can fit in the swear words and can, can add in, in the, in that kind of like outrageous fluff, let's say almost. Um, so no, I, I don't really see that as a as as a threat to it. Yeah. No, I think that I think the biggest threat to to non created non created content is um, there is I <laughs> it's hard to talk about sometimes. You know, I I call myself an artistic director, but it's even though we have no artistic direction. Um, but it's really because my job is to adhere to the integrity of our festival and to adhere to our mandate and to sort of help preserve it for, you know, generations to come. You know, I'd love to see that, like the 100th Fringe Festival. 
probably won't see that, but it would be fun to hope that that would happen one day. But somebody will. Somebody will. <laughs> Our children. No, grand. No, great grandchildren. Never mind. Someone will. But um, but yeah, I mean, and and that's that's really the important thing is is adhering to the integrity to sort of preserve that that movement. You know, uh, I think the moment that the word fringe doesn't mean anything anymore would be a real shame. I think, I mean, that is obviously an artistic directorial choice mm-hmm. to not have the artistic director make the choices, but to have, uh, to, to put faith in a community to, uh, to do what it wants to do and to let the community sort it out. Well, and also it, like, oh, sorry to interrupt Jeff, but also, I mean, it's, it's, you know, I'm kind of, I love our institutions in town that put on work. I think they're very important. But at the same time, if we have the same artistic directors in place for like 20 years at the same uh, venue, you know, you're not going to really see an evolution of work. Or you probably will if they're a good artistic director. But that's not the case in everybody's circumstance. And, you know, I think that it is important to allow the audience to become the artistic director, to become the curator, which is what happens at Fringe, because uh, word of mouth is what's really key. You know, and Fringe Buzz is queen. It's the queen bee, like I like to say. But, uh, you know, I think it's it's almost like Fringe is a, can be a lesson to artistic directors. It's like, what works at the Fringe? What's packing houses there? Will that help influence my choices and my decisions can I bring people what they want mm-hmm. instead of what I want? Yeah. And there are examples of festivals uh, that have been started up to to, uh, to to sort of choose segments of that and represent it in, 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 a, in a more formalized setting elsewhere in the calendar as well. I think one, one, uh, one point I was going to make earlier uh, in relation to, to where, where we just embarked on this question, one risk uh, to that sort of lack of artistic direction uh, is I think that uh, there is a tendency for people who don't, who haven't already sort of, who aren't already on the train, right? Uh, the fringe train is, is they, they open up the program and, and they open up the program and they see so many things and and there's sort of a there's, there's an anxiety i think that happens in 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 people's hearts where they, they look at that and they go well if i if nobody has chosen for me and i choose a show and through the idea of i'm going to choose a show which is also sort of not fringe kind of way that people do it who are into it but i'm going to choose a show and i make a bad choice does that mean that i have bad that i'm a bad audience member that i'm a bad oh, taste no, maker I, hug that person. I, I, think, I think there i think there is sort of an anxiety around that there's a there's a mm. there's a there's a and a, a habituation to having already had somebody make the choices and then you go and then you blame them for the bad choice. Mm. You know, an artistic director has programmed this thing, brought together the best shows from all around the world. And now I'm going to go watch and I hate all but one of them. And I have better <laughs> taste than the person who makes the taste choices. Right. And, and in this case, there is no taste maker who's pre chosen. You are the first person making the choice. And, uh, and I think there is a certain fear and anxiety around that for people who are new to it, who don't realize that this is a festival where that's 
that's not what it's about. It is it is about choose six shows, choose one that uh, a reviewer has said is great, choose one that you like the poster, choose one that you like the title, choose one that you you bumped into someone in in a, in a in a lineup and they said I saw this and it was great, you know, and and go see all of those things. If you see six shows at our festival chosen completely at random, if you see ten shows at our festival chosen completely at ram- random, get a get a ten show pass and go. You're gonna one of them. It's almost guaranteed that one of them that you possibly even one that you didn't choose on purpose will just blow your mind to something. I've sat in a room for an hour and I saw something I never imagined was possible and I was totally in love with it the whole time and I walked out in a daze, you know, that, uh, and, and, and no one went, no one tra- traveled to Belgium to choose it for me. It came here and I found it at random and now I can go out and be the person to say in that lineup, go see this show because it was totally amazing and you, and, and nobody's talking about it and you need to get out early and tell everybody and make it a hit in the next 10 days. It's that kind of festival. And the fun thing is that, I mean, for me is also that the money you spent on going to that show goes right into that person's pockets. Mm-hmm. It doesn't go to a diffuser. Yeah. It doesn't go to, yeah. to anybody else. It goes straight to that yeah. artist, which and, is kind of cool. And for the pri- and the privilege of seeing six shows at our festival, you can get that for the price of one ticket at another. You know, And what's the difference is that the one ticket somebody said you're going to like it, and your chances of liking it are probably pretty equal to any one of the shows you choose at ours, because your taste is yours if you, if you choose to explore it. And, uh, yeah, and, and in ours, you still get another five chances. <laughs> and you might end up seeing the next Azure Barton or exactly. Dave St. Pierre, who yeah. both, uh, who both presented work at the Fringe Festival. Exactly. Fred Gravel. Before they were known. Mm-hmm. They were doing, they did two or three shows. Fred did two or three shows back at our festival back in the early 2000s. I think it was another four or five years before it, things really started to pick up for him as, as a confirmed artist in confirmed festivals cool well i think i think we've definitely sold people on coming out to the fringe after that (laughs) uh we're we're gonna wrap it up we've been speaking about the art of non-curation uh in the context specifically of the saint amboise montreal fringe festival Uh, we've been talking to jeff agambar the general manager and amy blackmore the executive and artistic uh, director thank you very much for being here thank you both thanks for having us Dirty Feet was previously recorded at the Montreal Improv Theatre and is currently recorded out of Mainline Theatre. Thanks, dudes. Dirty Feet est produit et animé par Produced and hosted by Alison Burns J.D. Papillon et Stéphanie Moret-Robert. You can find out more about our show at nomoreradio.com Follow us on Twitter at Dirty Dirty Feet and find us on Facebook at Dirty Feet Podcast. Vous pouvez écouter tous nos épisodes sur notre site web ou vous pouvez vous abonner également sur iTunes Listen to past episodes on website or subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. While you're there, be sure to give us a rating and or leave a comment to help us spread the word. Tune in next week for a whole new show.